Welcome to Home of the Brave. I'm Scott Carrier. Last summer when I was taking a break and had no form of income, I thought maybe I could come up with an idea for a series of stories that I could sell to a podcast company for a lot of money. Because there's a lot of money in podcasting these days. And this is the way business is done. You come up with an idea for a series and sell it. You get the money before you do the stories. So I was thinking big, and the idea that came to mind was one that had been floating around in my head for a long time. Travel around the world by taxi, one after another. I'd never done it because it seemed too expensive, but the idea was and still is a good one. Because when you get into a taxi or a rideshare or even hitchhiking, you're getting in a car with a stranger. But instead of it being scary, there's a built-in relationship of trust. You trust that he or she is not crazy and knows how to drive, and he or she trusts that you're not crazy or violent or rude. You're both vulnerable, but you leave your fear behind. The past and future don't matter. You travel together for a short time, and then you never see each other again. In this time and space, you can talk and listen freely, openly, Not all the rides would be good ones. Much would depend upon luck and random chance. But traveling is like that. Life is like that. So I called my friend Ben Adair, who has a new podcasting company, Western Sound, in Los Angeles. He liked the idea, but thought we should do a test here in the United States, somewhere that seemed like the most foreign part of the country to me, somewhere I didn't know much about. I said, that would be the South. I've hardly been there. And he said, okay, try going from New Orleans to Jacksonville. It's 550 miles along I-10. Spend four or five days taking a lot of rides and see what happens. A few days later, I landed in New Orleans, walked out of the airport, turned on my cell phone, and got a ride into the city. The sun had just gone down. All right, well, you're my first ride. We're in New Orleans. What street is this? This is Airport Road. And what's your what's your name? Millard. Millard? Yeah. And um, where would you go? Well, <laughs> are you going to be staying in this area? I don't know. Actually, okay. I think I might start heading out of town. I'd like to, you know what I'd like to see is where the levees broke. Uh, that would be pretty close to the New Orleans area. Were you here when the levees broke? Yes. I was here during Hurricane Katrina. How old were you then? In my 30s, early 30s. Yeah. In my 40s now, mid-40s. And uh, left the day, of, the day before Katrina because it was a mandatory evacuation and I was back in the city a couple of days afterwards. You know, the news... The media that I saw at the time, what I remember of it, it was that the city was devastated. Almost. Was it that scary and that wiped out? Or were they? was the media exaggerating the extent of the damage? They didn't exaggerate the extent of the damage, but it wasn't as bad as most people said or saw on the news. What was over-exaggerated was the fact that people were causing harm to each other. It was more in a desperate situation of people trying to get out of the city and didn't have means of transportation to get out of the city. So it was an unfortunate scene that most of America was seeing that we was destroying the city or we was taking advantage or hurting each other, when that was not the case. Most people were actually helping each other to try to get to safety. They had people pulling up in buses and trucks, trying to load people on those buses and trucks and vehicles to get them to safety. About the murder rate, I read that the murder rate was quite high after that. There was a lot of crime, violent crime. Well, there's always been some violence in New Orleans, but I don't think it increased drastically as the media will portray it to be. I mean, it was some situations to where it was a lot of hostility, but at the same time, it wasn't... I should just ask you, well, what was it like, the rebuilding or the getting things back? Has it come back to normal? It's beyond normal now. Um, There's still a lot of places that needs to be upgraded or updated 
or remodeled, but this city has a very strong heartbeat. And the people in the community of New Orleans strive. Uh, this is a very resilient people. There's so many things that makes this city tick. And it's the people, it's the culture. We have so many brass bands, guys are self-taught on instruments, from the trumpet to the guitar to the piano. And they become famous just because they taught themselves how to be a musician. We have some of the world's most prominent chefs in the city, and a lot of these guys were self-taught. They didn't go to culinary school. Why does it happen here? Why do you think all this happens in New Orleans? Well... Where did it come from? It comes from from generations, from their grandmothers, their great-grandmothers, their grandfathers, teaching those skills that they've learned, and they pass them down. Me, myself, I used to be in the kitchen all the time with my grandmother, and she asked me, Lord, it tastes this. How does that taste? Oh, that tastes great, grandmother. What is that? Oh, that's my that's the fried chicken that we're going to be eating later, and we're eating with squash and cabbage, cookouts, what we would call a supper. We would give suppers. It means putting food together, selling it to uh, have a cause behind that supper, or coming together to have a party in the neighborhood. In the neighborhood, or this person here can cut hair. He's a barber, but he doesn't have the license to be in a barber shop, but he can cut hair really, really well. Or this artist who can really draw and he can put a port together to where, a, a, a portrait together to where you sitting in the chair getting your hair cut and he's, he's drawing you in the guy who's cutting, the barber who's cutting your hair. What we, what, what we call it, it's a hustle. Learning how to hustle, learning how to make ends meet going out, finding things that you know how to do well, producing those skills and turn it into money. You know, whether it's tap dancing on the corner, a lot of these guys out with taps on their shoes, entertaining people. A lot of guys know how to sing. A lot of guys know how to tell jokes. A lot of guys know how to put words together in riddles and poems and make money doing it. How do you feel you're doing doing all right how's your life going uh blessed by the hands of god scott i've been through a lot of situations to where it's been some scary situations but if i can tell you where i came from scott i'm a millionaire times 10 because i'm not supposed to be here today scott really not supposed to be here today but i thank god every day that i am what happened well why do you say you're not supposed to be well coming from a very poor situation i have six brothers and sisters and most of them been in and out of the system unfortunately and I have basically the only kid out of my siblings to graduate from high school it's been plenty of times I could have dropped out of school because there was no real pressure for me to succeed uh, with a lot of my friends dropping out of school being uh, I would say <laughs> being put in situations to where they had to support their families so they had to get out and find a job or do something to where they had to make money to support themselves and their family. Like an illegal thing. Unfortunately. Some of them was legal, some of them was illegal. How did you stay out of the crime end of it? How, did you make a decision? I, I, I can't point? say I stayed out of it completely, Scott. It was, un unfortunately, temptation certain situation where you see friends doing it and they're doing so well that you're tempted to do it. It was some situations that was, you know, crossing the line. But unfortunately, when I seen those guys and the consequences of what their actions was, I made a decision to say I cannot do those things, you know. So I had to be better than what there were. But I seen a lot of guys wind up in situations to where they was doing 10, 20, 30 years of prison and I wasn't going to do those things. I, I, I had too much pride or I felt like I was more important than being in a 8 by 8 cage or whatever the size of it is. So yes. this is downtown New Orleans? 
This is downtown New Orleans. So you stayed out of it. How old were you when that happened? The decision or the trying to. 16, 17 years old, Scott. 16, 17 years old. I seen friends get murdered right in front of me, Scott. Right in front of me. I was a kid when I saw this guy get shot about 20 plus times. I can still remember the corner counting the bullet holes in this person's body. When I was a kid, when I was 10, 11 years old, I remember running to the scene of a shooting, running to the scene of a shooting. Not running from it, but running to it because we were so used to seeing people get shot or a fight would break out and you run to those events instead of running from them. Because? Because you're so used to it happening. You want to see who? You want to see who it is or when you see the gunshots. If you ever seen a crowd of people scatter, when you see guns, when, when the gun go off, people ducking and running and reacting. As kids, we didn't duck or run. We looked toward it. We were so immune to it that it was an everyday thing. But when I became older and realized those things was unnecessary or uncalled for or even stupid to the point that where we're hurting and harming each other. I used to tell my friends all the time, boys, the, the, the activities that they're involving themselves in, it's not necessary. Not necessary. So tell me, where, where are we now? Because it's... Oh. This is Mid-City, the warehouse district. And where we just come off the freeway, where, where's that? Does that area have a name, too? Well, um, that was the uh, Calio Third Ward, Third okay. Ward of New Orleans. And we're in Mid-City now. We're in Mid-City. Yes, sir. And then the next block over is Canal Street. And you said you were going to show me some places where the bad stuff happened or the flooding? Everything in this area was flooded during Katrina. Oh, really? Here? Everything, yes. Huh. Even just recently, as recently as a month ago, this area was flooded <laughs> with water because it rained for two to three hours. Flash flood, it was... A good foot and a half, almost two feet of water. Right here. Right here in this city. Wow. Right here. And in Katrina, how deep was it right here? Five to six feet. Wow. The buildings clean up pretty well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Huh. It's stone. This is like granite. Yes. Buildings. That's some really, really nice buildings. Very, very old Marble. buildings as yeah. well. Yes. We have some very intelligent people in this city, Scott. Very intelligent people. But unfortunately, the bad always outcome the good when it shows on the news. I walked through the French Quarter, found a cafe Millard recommended. I sat at the counter ordered the crawfish jambalaya, and it was maybe the best food I have ever eaten. And it hurt me to realize what I've been missing all my life. The next day, heading east, I was trying to stay off I-10 as much as possible, because I-10 is a straight line to Jacksonville, and I could be there in a day, no problem. I needed to go slow, a lot of short rides, so I decided to take the side routes through the small towns. I went five miles, then 10 miles, then eight miles. The drivers were working people, usually with another full-time job besides driving people around. They were tired, worn out, not really enthusiastic to be talking about anything. And then I kept getting dropped off along strip malls with fast food chains and gas stations. I could see exactly where I was on my phone GPS, but it could have been anywhere and felt like nowhere. Then my phone died and I ended up recharging it at a swap meet in Slidell while pretending to be interested in some framed pictures of paintings while everybody knew I was a stranger in their midst. Not long after that though, I got a ride with a woman who I will call Ty Shell. What should I know about this area? Like where we are now, where we're going? Well, let me tell you. This area that you're in, 
It's very busy. It has actually boomed up from what it used to be back in the day when I was a little girl. Um, it's a lot of fishing here, casinos. Um, we get a lot of travelers in and out that come here for the casinos. It's nice, and um, you know, even though here we don't know a lot of people, I can run into you just like I'm speaking to you now. Is always, hey, how you doing? You know, we, we constantly just try and speak. I mean, I don't have to know you, you know. So we, Southern hospitality, I always try and use our manners. You know, we big on that here. That, you know, if you go, like, for instance, you know, when you go in certain areas, they'll probably be staring at you like wondering, you know, this, what this guy doing over here? He's kind of out of place. Tell me what you were thinking when I got in when you got in the car, you said you was going to Pascagoula. I'm look, I didn't take you for somebody that was familiar with Pascagoula, first of all. Because <laughs> I'm like, mm, what does he know about Pascagoula? Right. That's where my mind went. Because I, I don't know whether it's the way you dress. I don't know. I just immediately picked up on it. I don't know. I couldn't, I'm pretty I couldn't white. tell you. <laughs> no, it's white people there. There's a lot of them. <laughs> but it's just... I don't want you to wind up in a certain area and you're not familiar with because not every area is a good area. I mean, where I'm taking you to. I mean, <clears throat> stay on a certain side or in a certain area because sometimes when people know you're new to the area, they'll be like, hmm, you know, what's in that backpack? You know, stuff like that. Tyshell was a working mom with three sons and she was not afraid to talk politics. Okay, and then you know what? I got a problem with this. They make sure the working people, I call myself the working people, meaning the ones that don't make over $100,000 a year. You know, I only make, if I add this up, I'm lucky to make about 50 between Ubering and working at my full-time job. I'm lucky to make 50, 55, okay? They gonna make sure we pay our taxes. They coming for us. They gonna freeze all our assets. They gonna get what's due to them. If we trying to survive here, and y'all trying to keep us down lower and lower and lower, everybody should pay taxes. Everybody. Ain't no special tax break for nobody. We The working people don't get no special tax break. Why you think, cause you got money, you get to get it. Be fair. Tyshell talked about her sons, and I got the feeling they were the rambunctious type, which she was sort of proud of, but it made it hard to keep them in line. So she took to whooping them, even though she knew this was not recommended by the authorities. They don't want people to discipline their kids. <laughs> I disciplined mine, and guess what? My kids don't give me no problems. When they start coming up with that foolish rule, talking about some, you can't whip your kids, huh? As soon as I couldn't whip mine, you come get them. But guess what? Somebody told me. I asked a uh, DHS worker, because I was always curious. And you know what she said? She said, you can whip your kids, you just can't leave no mark. Well, you can imagine what my answer, my question was. My question was, I ain't never known them whipping to feel good. and. How am I going to whip my kids without leaving a mark on them? They, I got one bright-skinned son, and, 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 you know, my other kids are, are darker or whatever, but my bright-skinned son, he going to have a whap if I pop his butt hard. Okay, so my thing is, how am I going to discipline him without leaving a mark? You know what the lady told me? I'll never forget this, and it helped me raise my kids, too. She said, you whip them the palm of their hand and the bottom of their foot. It doesn't leave not one bruise or a mark. And you know what? Ask my son that's 19. That foot got, <laughs> that foot caught it. As a matter of fact, he got a size 13. <laughs> I tore that foot up. He did something he wasn't supposed to. When he dropped one foot, I grabbed the other foot, so I wanted to make sure he had an even shoe size. But, you know, the government not good with trying to tell people what to do with their kids. I admit that some people are killing their kids. Right. Some people don't need kids. Some people need to be 
where they can't have kids. They don't deserve them. Kids are a gift from God. This clown driving in the wrong, on the wrong side of the road. So let me just skedaddle on over. Well, no, I can't go nowhere. He playing on the phone. There you go. What can we do about He's that? He's playing on his phone. I spent the night in Mobile, Alabama, another place with excellent food. In the morning, I headed south to the beaches, the white sand beaches that run along the Gulf of Mexico. The downside of, of rideshare, you can't always find a convenient bathroom. <laughs> so, McDonald's, coffee, no. Mac, uh, McDonald's have clean bathrooms. Yeah. That one back there was quite nice. They had a TV yes. going in Yes, yes, yes. McDonald's are, is usually my number one spot, but it's, sometimes it's hard to find a, a clean, uh, convenient um, place to go. That's the downfall. But, uh, but overall, it's exciting. Something new every day. What, what should I know about this area? This is a good vacation destination. It's family-oriented. There's no drinking on the beaches, um, no wild parties. During spring break, the mayors of Gulf Shores and Orange Beach uh, let it out through media that, you know, you spring breakers are welcome, but uh, there's no drinking on the beach, no wild parties in the condos and hanging off of the, the balconies, you know. So, uh, consequently, a lot of the spring breakers will go to Panama City. But that's all right. We'd rather they take that if that's what they're going to do to go over there and leave this area for families. I choose not to drive at night because I don't want to deal with uh, people that have had too much alcohol. I don't want to have to, you know, um, put up with the nonsense. So I go home when it's dark. It seems like all of your things that happen, happen at night. It's, you just never know. Now, if, if I accept a ride and I come across somebody that I don't feel comfortable with, yes. I can cancel. I don't have to take that ride. But then you have to get them out of the you can ask them if someone's in the car and and you're not getting good vibes. You can ask them to get out. Have you had to do that? No, I have not. But that's happened, you know, to a lot of rideshare drivers. That they wish they had to take them off. You've had a lot of rideshare you passengers that try to sexually assault female drivers. You're taking a chance. Uh, with rideshare, you're not supposed to carry a weapon. Um, Do you have one? I have a stun gun. You're not supposed to carry a gun. It's I like have a taser. You mean? A taser, yeah, a taser. I have a taser and I have uh, a pepper spray, but I don't want to use the pepper spray in the car because it'll affect me as well. But and while you're driving, it while might be I'm driving, right? You have to pull over. Mm-hmm. You probably planned it out, how you do it. Mm -hmm. Just trying to think through it. Because it'd be hard to stun gun somebody while you're driving. But I guess you could do it. One hand on the wheel. I know. <laughs> it would be intense. Well, you'd be, be surprised really of what you can do when you think your life is in danger. Uh, I bet. I have a carry permit. And I, when I travel, I travel a lot by car. I carry my uh, my pistol with me, and I know how to use it. That's good. Turned out, I don't like being around families on vacation on the Gulf Shore beaches. 
and to describe what I saw there may be impolite, not the southern way. Suffice it to say, there seemed to be no end to them, and no end to the bars and hotels and restaurants, strip malls along the highway, and the drivers were often not from around there. They'd come in for the tourist season. It sounded like he was a heroin addict, but it, he's not. Who's that? <laughs> My friend Steven, that I was telling you about. But he's not. He, it was a, it was a misunderstanding. But anyway, right. so so, um, so we're going to recording, I guess. Oh um, uh, so, yeah. So could you tell me your name and where we are now? Oh, um, I think we're on our way to Navarre Beach in um, close to Pensacola, Florida. And my name is Joe King. The second is my legal name. I don't know if you need that. I go by Sebastian in my psychic life. So and I'm a professional psychic. Is my other job other than lift, so. Is it good to go by another name in a psychic life? Um, when you get when you take like a psychic hotline job, they make you take like a stage name for security purposes, and over time, it just evolved into like being my Facebook and everything else, so people could find me outside of the psychic the hotlines. So you so. use Sebastian as well for? I, I do it for all my work. So like so like you know with Lyft, I'm Sebastian. I was with Uber. I used to be Sebastian, but they have a really problem with like. The nickname they have a nickname issue so I just have to go with so so when I get in a lift you know I'm Sebastian I think you know and then when I get um, an Uber I, everybody calls me Joe which is my legal name because uh, yeah yeah it's totally totally different but um, right. so well, like, so you're a professional psychic and you do uh, psychic readings online, but you're taking a break from that now. Well, I'm taking a break from doing it in my own business I'm, I'm, and I'm only doing it on an application. Um, called Purple Ocean. How how do you use Purple Ocean? Oh, oh um, well, like if, if if a client like if a client wanted a reading or whatever, you know, like um, they they would download the app, they'd look through the psychics, watch the videos, find the psychic they want, and then um, if they choose the ten dollar option, the psychic has twenty four hours to deliver a three minute video to them through the application. Um, and uh, if they do the 15 minute rush hour delivery, if that person's available for rush hour, it's one hour delivery, and that person um, pays $15 for the one hour delivery. They gotta have an answer. Quick. They got, quick, right. <laughs> a lot of stress. It's a lot of stress, and, and, and people, I hate to say it, but everybody likes to think they're special, and they're not. <laughs> it's like everybody, ha you would be surprised how many people have the exact same problems as each other. Well, that's what I was saying. So on the psychic hotlines, like the one eight hundred numbers, the number one question is when is he going to leave his wife? Women. Yeah. Is uh, oh, and like eighty five percent of the psychic industry, eighty five ninety percent is women calling about their love life. And they want to know when their lover like, is going to leave his wife. Wife or um or you know what is he thinking? What you know. Is that? About 85 to 90 percent of the psychic industry is. And they ask you what their boyfriend is thinking. Thinking, feeling, um, uh, like. Uh, How do you know? What do you mean? What to tell them? Um, I'm, I have uh, several of the psychic senses. There's different senses called, that all start with the word Claire. It's French for uh, clear. Um, but um, I have a little bit of all of them. One of the things I have is called claircognizance. And basically, I have psychic thought processes. So, like, I'll be in a group of people or, or sometimes even one-on-one -on -one with somebody. And I'll say something that completely computes in my head, but apparently there's no way I could have known it. Huh. And it's called claircognizance. What's another one? Um, clairvoyance, which is what a lot of people, that's the main, mainstream term, which means um, psychic seeing, like uh, images. I have like a little psychic calendar thing. It's kind of like a little psychic calendar in this part of my mind um, that like I can measure like when events are going to happen for people. I do try to guarantee like 80% accuracy, which covers the past and the present. Because I, during, during a reading, I, tell, I explain to people that if you don't like what the future is, most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time you can alter it or change it. But I was going to ask you mm -hmm. about your experiences oh, yeah, with, with spirits. spirits. Yeah, that's the whole... kid. Yeah. Um, you saying that. Well, uh, I grew up kind of in a way, um, at about starting at about 10 or 11 years old, I got introduced to the idea of spirits. And by the time I was 14, I had started studying um, witchcraft and any kind of... I didn't really I didn't really have any direction because I was hiding it from people. It was, it was the, some of the dark side. Yeah, at that age, um, you know, it was dark. And when I, I remember... I didn't have any friends at all from third grade until about 11th grade, you know, so I was kind of, it was almost, I was very isolated, uh, uh, starting in my early teens, which is leading up to the spirit communication I'm talking about, okay. starting in my, you know, teens, you know, I, uh, is when I started, um, anyway. What? What happened? 
So not the reason I was saying I didn't have any friends or whatever is leading up to the fact that when I was four, about 14 years old, I was on the bus. Um, well, this voice pops in my head. And I, at first I thought I was imagining it. But this voice pops in my head and it said, hi. And I said, well, and I just was like, thought I was just, you know, pretending or whatever. So I was like, hi, you know, what's your name? And he goes, and he goes like, well, what name do you want to have? And I was like, um, I'll name you Brandon. So, uh, so that voice popped in my head. And by the time I was 18, um, it was a demon. And by the time that I was 18, um, that demon was able to take me over whenever it wanted to. So, so when I was 18, I had more than one um, spirit in me at that point in time. I had, I thought it was like seven. What are you doing, dude? Well, I got down on my hands and knees and started calling out to God and Jesus. And I didn't really know, know much about Jesus or anything. Started calling God and Jesus. And as I was on my knees, the images I had in them in my head were being presented to me in my mind. And around that time, I had hundreds of voices, like, like it was like, like, a, like a room full of people telling me, you know, like, you know, you need us, you, mo- you MF and I kind of cuss. Yeah. Okay. You need us, you motherfucking pussy. You know, you, you can't do this. You know, you, you have to have us and all this stuff. It was like hundreds That's of voices. That's what they were saying audibly. I could just like talking to you. It was audible. But as each of the images were brought up in my mind, God was shattering them and things like energetically, like I don't know how to explain it, almost like chills or whatever, but I could feel things leaving out of my back. And, when, and each image in my mind, like sh- as it was taken care of, would shatter in my mind. And when the last one shattered, my, blank, my brain went blank. And that was the first time that I had not had a fog in my brain since I was about 14 years old. So it's a success story. Yes. All right. So <laughs> let me ask you this. How, how are you feeling now? I feel great. You well, feel good? Yeah, well. I just wonder, <laughs> those stories are kind of intense. And so oh, I'm fine. I don't fine. want to put you under any stress. I'm fine. Like I said, I mean... Just I mean, talking about it, bring those things back. I mean, I don't uh, want you Not to... really, no. Um, uh, because I'm in control now of stuff. You feel um, like you're in control. This, the stress disorder that Let's I have. Let's stay in that place where you feel yeah. like you're in control. <laughs> and if you feel like you're not, tell me. Oh, that's fine. And we'll do that's something the end of the story. That's the end of the story. But if you're having these experiences yourself, are, do you feel like you're qualified to give people advice? Um, if they were facing a similar situation, I think I, I would feel comfortable giving advice. Yes. If they, if people, they were, have you met people who have had similar experiences? Um, maybe once or twice, but they're usually not like done with their story. They're usually in the middle of it. I guess this is where I signed up to go. Okay, yeah. This just go straight, right? Yeah. You want, do you, do you, yeah, um, just. I'll just go straight across. Down on the beach, yeah, it'd be good, yeah. Is it anywhere? On the beach, down there, maybe. You have reached your destination. Okay. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> remember where I slept the third night in some beach town that didn't matter. The next day, I went north, away from vacation land, into the pine forests of Florida. And there I got stranded in the middle of nowhere, an intersection of two highways cut through the trees, no rideshare drivers anywhere to be found. So I hitchhiked and got a ride in the back of a pickup all the way into Tallahassee. That was the toughest day, no good interviews, but the next morning I had a good ride out of town. I'm Glennis Bennett and we're in Tallahassee, Florida on Highway 90. Go on east towards Jacksonville. Yes. And uh, are you from around here? I'm born and raised here. I was actually um, born in Greensburg, Florida, which is another rural area. It's about 20 miles from um, here. Greensburg is known for like commercial um, tomato fields. That's where they make most of their money, picking tobacco and maybe cotton, but mainly tomatoes. And we would go and 
in the back of my grandmother's house was a commercial tomato field and we could just go in the back of our house and cross the, the fence and we're, we're out there in the tomato field getting full off of tomatoes picking blackberries and honeysuckles is how we sustain you know our hunger because we didn't want to come in the house we just it was just a carefree you know place where you just played all day you know and at night you you caught the things that we call um lightning bugs it was it's a really nice and laid back type of living did your family work the on the farms or work the, on the farms no the majority of the people that own those fields were like the you know the white man um they have um particular people that own you know the entire greensboro um area such as the fletchers they're well known the spooners they're they're well known they were the landowners they were the landowners white white mm -hmm. how's the racial tension now um, I wouldn't say there's any racial, racial tension, you know, at all. It's a very small town. Um, I would say maybe about 200 people, if that, you know, in that little town. So it's, it's sort of like, you know, everybody knows everybody. And everybody respects everybody. They get along. Yeah. Together. Mm-hmm. Well, so you have kids. Do you miss growing, that they don't? Do you regret that your kids aren't growing up in an environment like where you did out there? I do regret that. I, I, What's the I, difference now? What's it like now compared to then? The, the difference now between compared to when I was growing up, I would say um, just the, the, the hatred is what I see more. Um, the cost of living is definitely higher. People are not as friendly as they used to be. And this is just me talking, coming from a rural area right. um, where there wasn't any kind of, um, I couldn't see it, um, any kind of racial tension because I guess we learned and, 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 and through our parents and our grandparents, we, we, we learned to um, respect the white man and um, we, we knew our positions because mainly in Greensboro area, um, I know my grandmother, she pretty much, she was like a caregiver of, 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 you know, she took care of the white man's children, you know, his house and all of that. It, once she upgraded, and that was kind of like an upgrade from the fields. Now it's me personally. I haven't ran into the, any kind of um, racism myself, and I'm, that's I think I'm very fortunate with that. You know, because I have close friends, I have close family that have ran into um, racial racial um, tension, ra racism, and I know it's hard. What kind but, of situations? Well, there, I mean, there's stories about um, just being degraded as a man, you know, you're, you're talked down like you're a boy to the point um, you're, you're called out your name, derogatory names, you know, nigger, stuff like that. Um, still today. Still today. Um, you mentioned hatred. Mm-hmm. You can just see it throughout the world, like, you know, um, as far as, um, so far as religion, political, it's like we're being brainwashed and programmed to do this, to, to, to have hatred in our heart. You can feel it. I, I, I most definitely can feel it. I mean, even, like, the news, I, I don't even, me personally, I don't watch the news. I feel that it's uh, propaganda. I feel that it's fake. I feel that they intentionally cover certain stories to get a certain uh, response from a mass group of people. Yeah. Yeah. That's a problem with the news. It's driven by profits. And so if you're driven by profits, you're going to 
tell the story that people want to hear. And the story that people want to hear, the most people want to hear, like, either violence or sex, or sex and violence. This is the most popular. I think it's on a deeper level than that. I, I, I really do. Um, I'm more of a sp spiritual person. You know, and I don't, and I'm gonna define that I'm not religious. I don't, I don't um, identify myself with um, a particular religion. I am a spiritual being, having an experience in a human body. That's what I mean by a spiritual being. And I think that they're using our minds to control us. And every time you turn on the news, it's about violence. It just puts fear in your heart. That's all it does. And I, I, me, I like to, I like to research and I like to read a lot. And I was born um, Christian, and 2013 would be um, the day that I awoken. Is what they, I guess you would define it. And I wasn't looking for um, anything contrary to say that um, the Bible was a lie, um, but I discovered it. And, and, and that's how I started defining myself as being a spiritual being. I know that all of this literature has been put down here for man, by man, to control man. Because... The author controls the reader. That's my philosophy. Well, what happened in 2013? Well, in 2013, I um, came across... Um, first, I came across um, this guy named um, Ray Hagen. And he actually was a black pastor. Uh, a, a Pentecostal black pastor. And the title of his video was... There is no rapture, and Jesus is not coming back. And the truth hurts. It tastes nasty. You know, it really does. <laughs> and, you're <laughs> and you're fearful because it's like you, you've, you've believed this all your life, and now you've just now discovered, especially as an adult, You've just now discovered that this is a lie. I do believe that there is a higher power. I just do not believe that there is a savior that's going to come down from heaven one day and just sweep all the good people up and take them back into um, heaven. I believe that we are in a sort of like school, earth is school, and that we're here to learn the ultimate thing and I think that's um love. I think that's all I think that, that that's what that's all that we were we are here to learn is to how to get along and to love one another. Just like you and I. I believe that we will we, we connected for a reason and I believe that in the next lifetime we will meet paths again. I don't believe nothing is a coincidence. I believe everything happened for a reason, the way that it was supposed to happen. After some first-hand experience, I can say there are many places in northern Florida where there are no rideshare drivers available, no taxis. To be honest, I don't think I can recommend traveling by rideshare and taxi through the countryside of northern Florida. I was stuck at a gas station on the outskirts of Live Oak for a couple hours. Finally, I approached a guy in a pickup and offered him 20 bucks for a ride to the next town. And he said, hell no, I don't have my gun in the car. You could be a crazy person. And I started laughing too hard, slapping my thigh. And he said, see, you are a crazy person. What I said wasn't funny. I talked him down, and after a bit, he said he'd go home and get his other car that was better on gas mileage, and then come back and get me. I said, you can bring your gun. And he said, oh, I know. But he didn't come back, so I started hitchhiking 
and a guy, a handyman on his way home from work, picked me up. It's more of a blueberry area down here where they plant blueberries. Like I say, most of this is like farm country. It's um, the Swanee River Valley, is that what you call it? Swanee it's River Valley, yeah. Just yeah. on the Stephen Foster side. Right, that's on the Stephen Foster side over there. Yeah, uh, but he's buried there, or is it just a memorial? I guess it's just a memorial. You know, I mean, it was for my time, ever since I was a little boy, always. You know, Stephen Foster Memorial, and we used to go there doing school trips. And uh, way down upon the Swanee River, that was. That was the main song. <laughs> What's it about? What happened on the Swanee River? He loves the Swanee River. They oh, have camping, boating. I mean, they they got a place they just built here not long ago. Uh, Swanee, uh, it's a park. They have all kind of festivals and everything. I mean, it's year-round. And, I mean, it brings in bunch of people. I mean, just, I mean, they have all kind of bands and whatnot in there. And, now you come into Columbia County. Uh, this is what we are now. We're in Columbia County. This is Lake City. Oh, oh really? And, yeah, you're in Lake City now. And, give uh, me a ride to Lake City. To Lake City, yeah, I'll give you a ride to Lake City. Hey, what's your name? My name is Joe. Joe? Joe, yes. And you're from here? I'm from Live Oak, yeah. Mm -hmm. Live Oak. Right. Which is where you picked me up? Yeah, I picked you up out of Live Oak. And you said your dad was one of the biggest farmers here for well, a while? My uncle. Your uncle? My mama's. Sister husband, huh. he was he was. I mean, he was collard greens, tobacco, corn, peas. It used to be a thing, acre peas. You know, what I mean, that was that was a big, big pea, and you can't hardly find those no more. Old fashioned acres, huh. and uh, we used to pick peas there. And I'm gonna tell you how far we don't come with that. Um, peas was we used to peas like we pick them for a dollar and a half a hamper, and now. Peas, you pick peas now, you get about $10 a hamper. <laughs> and they sell for about $40, what they call a bushel. That's a hamper. But so that's how for that, you know, it happens. you make come. good money picking peas? Well, yeah. If you $10. get out there and pick. How long does it take to? Uh, it's going to take you probably about about a half an hour if, if you got a bunch of peas that'll make a. So $20 picture. an hour? Yeah, about $20 an hour. I bet it's hard work, though. Yeah, yeah it's, hard. it's steady going now, you know. Yeah, you, that's hand picking. But now they have machines. They have machines that do all the tobacco, picking the peas, breaking the corn. I mean, machines just don't come in and took over everything. Really? So, yeah. Well, you've lived here all your life? Or most all, your life? all my life, So, yes. as far as, like, the community, the sense of community and social structure, does it hold together? You seem like you're staying here and holding things together, trying to hold things together. Well. Is it working? Well, so far it is. But it's, it's a good community. It's a good community. It's a good community. Uh, what makes it good? Well, it's it's the people that's in the community that that works with you. But here lately, we have people that come way from South Florida. They come down and they build these nice houses and things, but they build them out in the rural area. So that's taking up a lot of the farmland too. I mean, you find a little trail, look like nothing in there, but when you get back there, there's a big nice home back there. You Thank know. you. Sir. A vacation home, retirement, you know, and uh, they come from South Florida, uh, up New York, or those places there. To the Swanee River. To the Swanee River, that's what they're looking for. And uh, we, we, we have land down on the Swanee River, and uh, you get inquiries about selling it all the time, you know, but it's. Uh, <laughs> for a lot of money. Uh, well, yeah, it brings, it's, it sells for a good price. You know, just a little lot down there. And um, we have farmland on the Swanee River. Um, as a matter of fact, the river runs right through some of our property on the Swanee River. So, you still farming? Uh, no, not we're, we're not farming now. It's mostly leased out to the big farmers. I see. So, are you tempted to sell that, or are you going to hold on to no, it? No, we're going to hold on to it. Yeah, yeah, what I was wondering is, like, what makes a community work? experience what kind of people or participation or structure makes things work instead of falling apart well I really can't say I mean it's, it's you it, 
you get people that comes in that will work with you and then some of them come in want to work against you i mean like um this city hall and these places like that people comes in but they bring them in from down south or up north where they was it was big population and here is small population but they think they can run it like they run it you know in new york but it's not that kind of capital flow here like up there you know and then it makes it harder for the people down in this area to kind of cope with that you know uh, down here you figure 20 miles 20 mile radius every, everybody knows everybody you know up there in new york i mean you don't even know your neighbor i don't be around the world and i drove truck i broken down and people out of nowhere they come and give me a hand you know it's the home training part of it that's what i look at you know the home training, the home training. My mother and my father, they're both Christian people. My dad is 88 years old. My mom, she's 84. And she's, she'll take a stray cat in if he got the mange or something and put some kind of ointment on him to, to try to heal him up. And, uh, that's, and that's the same way I feel. I mean, I don't try to treat nobody bad. Uh, everybody's just as good as me. You know, if you got one eye or half a leg or something, <laughs> You just as good as I am still, you know, and that's the way I like treating people. So. I got a few more rides into Jacksonville, but there really wasn't anything there I wanted to see or do, so I took one more ride to the airport. Was this experiment a success? In some ways, yes. I think there is something that happens in a car, a space that opens up where people feel safe to talk. And Southerners are good at human kindness. It comes easy to them, and this is where they get their charm. I believe human kindness reaches around the world, and that getting in cars with strangers is a good way to tap into it. But I also have some questions, like I was paying the drivers and then giving them a rating, and maybe this colored what they said, and I've read that rideshare drivers are going on strike this week, and I've never met anyone who's happy in their job who walks out to go on strike. So I'd like to try this again, another test, by traveling somewhere truly foreign, like Eastern Europe or Central Asia or Northern Africa. This isn't an idea for Home of the Brave, however. It's too expensive. A series like this needs a big sponsor, and maybe we can find one. I'd like to thank Ben Adair at Western Sound in Los Angeles for sponsoring this test run. I'd also like to thank Larry Massett for some invaluable editorial advice. You can see some photos from this trip on our website, homebrave.com, and there are buttons to push to donate, subscribe, and buy t-shirts and patches. Thanks very much for supporting this show, and thanks for listening. <laughs>